Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, we speak with inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. Sorry, Joe, I just went totally into it without even <laughs> thinking about bringing you in for some of it. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> no worries. But before I do start, I'd also like to honour the traditional custodians of the land where the studio is based, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Nice. So, hey, Joe, what's up? Well, Ron, I've got some pretty exciting news. Awesome. I'm writing a book. So it's about aerial yoga. Working title is Eight Limbs of Aerial Yoga, Practices for Neurodiversity, Accessibility and Physical Support. So it's really about bringing yogic philosophy into the practice of aerial yoga, which unfortunately gets left out of a lot of aerial yoga teacher training courses, which are quite short and like focused on the mechanics of the hammock. Part of that as well is often there's not a lot of space to bring in options for different bodies and different needs. So that's a big part of the book. And I'm also going to be highlighting the ways that people from different healing professions, many of whom have been past podcast guests, have brought the aerial yoga into their teaching and personal practice, really with the goal of being able to make the practices of yoga, and especially the mental and emotional and subtle practices, more accessible for more people. Amazing. And yeah, it sounds absolutely amazing. And I just wanted to say how proud of you I am. Oh, thanks so much, Ron. And I've got to say the podcast has been a really big part of this process. It's actually Donna Noble's book, her most recent one, Teaching Body Positive Yoga, that really inspired me to start writing. And Donna was super supportive and helpful. And Jivana Heyman, who was another past podcast guest and source of inspiration, was also super supportive and helpful with helping me choose the right publisher and just generally being really encouraging. And a lot of the people who I'm going to be interviewing for the book are actually people who we've connected with through the podcast. Nice. Nice. So, Ryan, anything new with you? Well, why, yes. And I guess if you heard the last episode, uh, the mid-roll for that, I mentioned that I am working on a new project. It's very, very close to launching. It's so close to launching. It's called Sound Made Scene. It is a tool for podcasters to help market their podcasts, especially on social media. It's essentially, you can upload some audio content. So that could be a podcast or, for example, a a book reading, (laughs) just saying, or any type of audio content. And then it's got some tools that can analyze, transcribe what you're saying and, and even suggest some great bits that you might like to use. And then it can turn them into a beautiful looking video and with visualizers and progress bars and all sorts of cool stuff. And yeah, I'm, I'm very close to getting that up and running. It's taken me quite a while. And I guess in, as I am getting very close to launching, I've decided to leave my full-time job. So yeah, a lot of big stuff happening. I'm very excited, a little bit, you know, I guess anxious about the future. So yeah, hopefully that goes well. I think the other cool thing about this project is it comes from an actual pain point, I guess, in the podcast making and sharing process. And I'll just talk for you here, Ron. Oh, go ahead. Ron's got this like funny thing of like, he's really 
self-described lazy. <laughs> so he's made this incredibly complex and intricate project to... Save work. (laughs) (laughs) And help others. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, taking something that was like the most boring and tedious part of sharing a podcast and turning it inspiration to make an app that's really cool and makes these really beautiful videos. And I'm super excited to see it all come to life. Me too. Me too. I can't wait. I've worked so long on it. And, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting it launching. And then I think that's where the real fun happens because I get to hopefully talk to users, find out what they want and really fine tune. And yeah. So if you are interested in in learning more about this project, just go to soundmadescene.com and you can join the wait list. It should be launching in a couple of weeks though. You'll be the first to know if you're on the mailing list. Woohoo. <laughs> All right. So what's next, Joe? Well, here's a question from past guest Deanne Love. You're both creative flow artists in many areas of life. How does flow present itself in your life most potently at the moment? What does it feel like in your work, play, pleasure, rest or daily doings? Oh, am I answering this one? Okay. Uh, I have an answer too. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I've got lots of different ways that I can connect to flow because it's something that I'm really drawn to and something that I really love. I've been regularly going to my Sumier painting class, which is inkbrush painting, and it brings in a lot of Zen philosophy with my teacher, Richard Liddicott, who is a past podcast guest. And that's a really interesting type of flow because even though you're making art, it's not necessarily about creating something new. It's more about being immersed in the moment as you try and reproduce something. And it's very tactile, like you mix the ink at the start of the practice, there's the water, the brushes are quite fluid. So it's kind of more that sense of flow of being immersed in what you are creating. And I know that one aspect of flow is taking yourself, like you're going that little bit beyond your comfort zone. And it's never possible to perfectly reproduce one of these like calligraphy or even a painting because you're a beginner at this practice if you've been doing it every day till you get to your 60s. Like that is just, you know, part of that tradition and part of that lineage. So it's humbling, but also it's very immersive. And the other way that flow presents itself in my life is I'm kind of obsessed with like rearranging rooms Mm -hmm. and making furniture and kind of arranging spaces so that you can flow through them, kind of getting ready any areas that might be a bit stagnant or a bit cluttered up and making it so my eyes are happy, but also so that you can just make the best use of a small space. I'm really into upcycling and also passing on items that I don't need anymore. So yeah, I really like that aspect of flow as well in, I guess, sustainable design and interior design. Nice. And actually to flow on from that, just the Monday after I finished at my job, the first thing we did, and, and thanks so much for your help, Joe, was rearrange my home office, which is... Known as the Ryan Room. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we totally rearranged it and it, it turned into a pretty big job. My desk kind of disintegrated and amazing handy person, craft woman, Joe, managed to fix my my desk and make it even better than it was before. Luckily, I had a lot of brackets yeah, already yeah. <laughs> from other DIY furniture projects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's amazing. And so, 
now the run room just looks and feels amazing and it's great for me to work in. I can, I've changed the layout a bit so I can look straight out the window when I'm working. I used to be side onto it so that even that's just a little bit nicer. So yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, one of my design heroes, Justina Blakeney, talked about microaggressions from your house. So say that there's a table that you always bump into when you walk through a door or there's a cupboard that you can't open because it hits a chair, even though it's like a tiny little thing. If it annoys you every day in your home space, like that adds up. And then when you fix that little thing, it's just a joy. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, that room is a joy at the moment. So much more spacious. Well, at least it feels more spacious. Definitely. Yeah. Nice. So I guess for our next question, and by the way, we forgot to mention people that this is uh, going to be a question and answer episode. So we've got a whole lot of former guests asking us some questions, which we are going to answer. And we have one from Dave and Ranju who ask, what's inspiring you both at the moment? So I guess we've already mentioned that a little bit. Yeah, but this was Ram's idea and it's been so good. For the last two weeks, we've been doing a daily insight timer meditation when we wake up. And insight timer is such a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. So there's been a wide range of different meditation practices, but I found it really inspiring to kind of be guided through different meditations. And obviously Mm. meditation is a great way to start your day. And if you have not got that mental muscle (laughs) to do it on your own and have that discipline, a guided one online is a really good way into that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and I've been really enjoying that morning morning meditation as well. And I guess I, I just feel that in my old job, I always felt like I had to rush on to the next thing. And now it's a little bit, well, now that I'm setting my own timetable, I can I can definitely say, all right, I'm going to meditate at this time. And, and it's been great. And I mean, even like, no matter how rushed your day is, like we do the 10 and the 15 minute ones. So, you know, 10 minutes, I spend a lot longer than that lying in bed, looking at my phone in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So we have another question from Dave and Ranju who ask, do you both ever experience imposter syndrome and how do you deal with it? I probably should experience more imposter syndrome than what I actually do. I'm a Leo. And also I'm pretty comfortable winging it. So I think I've probably taken on roles or jobs really that I haven't actually been prepared for and just winged it. And I've learned things from that. And I would say that if you are feeling like you've been offered this thing that you want to do and you're not sure if you're qualified for and you don't have the opportunity to do a whole new teacher training course, collaboration is the key. And I think this is especially true if, say, maybe often it's a friend has asked you to, say, teach a specific population and maybe it was a little bit of your teacher training but you don't have a lot of specific area with that – like say I'll use the example of a kid's yoga class because that's definitely something that I taught with like only the training in my teacher training course, do a session with one kit and try out all the things that you want to do, do some research and like have that dry run before you're actually in the full thing. If you're a new yoga teacher and you've just finished your teacher training and you don't feel ready to teach in a paid capacity – 
I would highly recommend teaching some friends who are not in your teacher training course because it's a very different experience and just start doing it. Like past podcast guest Donna Sparks has got a really good saying, which is do it till you can, because like it's always going to be the first try when you're trying something. So you just got to keep doing it till you can. And the other example where maybe something feels like a little bit out of your scope of practice if you're working with someone with a specific medical condition is collaborate with their other healthcare providers. So physios are pretty open to you getting in touch with that patient's permission to kind of talk about what I usually do is I do some research, I make a rough plan, and then I check in with the physio and just be like, this is what I've got planned. Does that sound okay to you? I don't think it's respectful to someone's time to call them up and be like, what should I do? Because that sounds like the kind of thing that maybe you need to book a private session with a physio for. And I know a lot of health professionals do do that. You can book a session for education. So that's another option. Have you got anything around? Yeah, I guess this is an interesting question for me because in some areas of my life, I like I do have probably impossibly high standards for myself, I've been told. And in some areas of my life, I'm, I'm actually quite prepared to not be very good at something. So I guess, especially when it came to the podcast, for example, I was, and you know, probably still now, it's not the world's greatest well-produced podcast in the world, but you know, it's something that we both enjoy and, and love and and it's just something we do. So I've, I've never had imposter syndrome around that. And I guess, you know, people can listen to us if they like and they don't have to listen to us if they don't like and that's absolutely fine. And I, I feel like the same as applies for my, my yoga teachings just because, you know, I, I mostly teach pretty small intimate classes anyway. So, and the people I'm very comfortable with and, you know, I, I do really enjoy the classes so much that there's not really time for me to feel <laughs> imposter syndrome. But yeah, I guess in other ways when it's particularly working, building software, that's that's probably where I get a little bit of imposter syndrome and oh my gosh, what am I doing? But yeah, hopefully that doesn't reflect in the product sound mate. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just reflects on the impossibly high standards that you have for yourself because you're like an amazing developer. Oh, thank you. All right. So what advice would you give to your younger selves when you're starting out on your yoga careers? This is another one from Dave and Ranji. Mm-hmm. Oh, I honestly don't know. I, I feel like I wasn't that much younger when I started my yoga teaching career because, as I've mentioned in the podcast before, it came after my experience with stomach cancer. So I was a bit older. But yeah, I, I mean, I feel the best thing that you can do is just kind of go with the flow, really. Yeah, my advice would be to trust your instincts because I feel like any time I've had a bit of a weird feeling about a person or a situation work-wise, that has definitely come true. And my other advice, which is a very pragmatic one, is if someone gets more than one invoice behind, you're probably not getting paid <sighs> ever. <laughs> so, Damn. Yeah, that's been my experience. Yeah, yeah. And that goes back to trusting your instincts about people and situations. Nice. So I guess what is the most helpful piece of advice you can remember regarding yoga teaching, practice, or living? Well, I'm going to go into another business one because obviously we are aiming to live 
with the philosophies of yoga to be our best selves and to show up in the world in that way. But helpful advice is you are on your own team. I don't think you can rely on a studio or an organization to put your own best interests above theirs. And that means that you kind of have to be a business of one. So the sooner you can have your own online presence in terms of a website and a mailing list, and also I wouldn't want to put all my social media eggs in the one basket because platforms change and everything you put on that platform, they kind of own. So it can be a lot of time and energy that just kind of goes down the drain when their algorithm changes and no one sees your stuff anymore. So it's really good to be putting that time and energy into your own thing, into your own business. And especially now that we can share online as well, you don't necessarily need a studio space to start also sharing your classes online and creating an online library and doing your own thing fully outside of a studio or a gym or someone else's business. And it actually leads us to someone that we partner with, which is Offering Tree. You can use our link which is offeringtree.com slash flowartists to get a free month or 15% off an annual plan. And the reason why we've chosen to partner with Offering Tree comes out of questions from mentor mentees, <laughs> other teachers who I've mentored who do not have the luxury of having a web developer husband to build them a website and any technology needs. So I was like, well, what can other people do that's kind of like user-friendly and affordable and bundles up the online video if you want to do that, the mailing list if you want to do that, the website if you want to do that, into something that you can build and maintain yourself if you're reasonably tech savvy. Like I feel like if you can do a Facebook page, you can do this. Nice. Nice. And also they're an ethical company that are dedicated to educating yoga teachers. So mm -hmm. it is for profit, but it is for ethical profit. <laughs> <laughs> they have a street, they have a set of ethical guidelines that they are bound by. Yeah. And we actually spoke to the founder, Alex, a few episodes ago. So if you like, you can go back and listen to that. So another question from a former guest, Surreal. She asks, where do you see your podcast in five years? I'm going to flip that one back to you, Ron. Nice. Well, honestly, I'd like to see the podcast being a little bit bigger. I don't ever anticipate that we'll have huge a huge audience, but I would like it to be a little bit bigger and maybe put out a few more episodes. Over the past few years, I guess I've been working a lot more, so we had less time for podcasting, and I'd like to build that back up Again, nothing too crazy though, but also I am planning to start another podcast for Sound Made Scene. That'll be called the Sound Made Scene Sessions, and that's going to be more about marketing your podcast. So that should be fun. So yeah. Do you have a dream that you'd like to see come true for the podcast? I'd just like to have a little bit more of an audience than that. Yeah. No, again, nothing too great. But yeah, it'd be, it'd be fun to be able to, you know, make a little bit of a living from this or, you know, a little bit contributing towards our living from, from this enterprise. So yeah. 
Yeah, and I guess my dream that I'd like to see come true from the podcast, other than my most <laughs> wanted guest who's never replied to my emails, Justine of Lakeney, I like as I'm writing the book, I would actually love to connect to more people who share the accessible and therapeutic sides of aerial yoga and continue to expand my own depth of knowledge and kind of create more of a global community who are, of people who are working in that realm. And I think that the podcast can be a good way to do that because it's already allowed me to connect to people like Cyril, who's an occupational therapist who uses aerial yoga to work with traumatic brain injury. That's a pretty recent past episode. So I'd like to do I guess it's just more things in my own area of passion, but also just creating new possibilities for sharing and learning from each other. Yeah, nice, nice. And Surreal also asks, it's now been five years or more. Is there something that you've learned through the process and would do differently now if you had to start from scratch today? Yeah, I guess, and I'm going to do this with my new podcast, but I actually built the website from scratch and and did all of that stuff. I think for this new one, I'm going to just use whatever tools are out there. I'm going to use Spotify for uploading. We've we've got Zencaster, so I'm going to use that for editing and and managing different parts of the production of the podcast. And I guess you know, back then, these things didn't exist. So yeah, it's it's just going to be a, an interesting exercise to see what tools are actually out there and and maybe I'll be able to do certain things a bit quicker and with a, a little bit less work. So, yeah. I guess the other thing as well is lessons that we've learned, not to look at the numbers too much, mm. to look at the other benefits that we're getting, like this chance to connect to amazing guests. And I guess especially with the book, it has opened up possibilities that maybe wouldn't have been available to me before. And also with the podcast, like sometimes your numbers grow slowly. So there can be an episode that you are a little bit heartbroken by because you loved it at the time and then maybe it didn't reach the audience that you were hoping for. But as that builds over time, it can be like a slow burn. And I think the less that you look at the numbers, like the less mental energy is wasted feeling like something is a fail or something is a success because of, like it's a very arbitrary measure of those things. And we don't have advertisers who are requiring us to meet certain numbers and certain targets. So why are we setting that up <laughs> in our own heads? Like there's so many other benefits that you can quantify in other ways. Absolutely. And yeah, even even though I said before, I'd like us to have a bit more of an audience, I'm, I'm not talking about a huge audience. And the funny thing is, you know, we, we haven't been worrying about the numbers so much. And then we'll sort of look back and go, oh, oh these one, these episodes actually <laughs> did quite well, better than we'd, we'd thought. So that's, that's always a fun surprise, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the less often you look at the numbers, the better that experience will be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Ran, what is one of your fondest memories about the podcast, not necessarily with a guest? I guess we've had some really interesting experiences on the podcast where guests open up to us and tell us things that I would have never imagined or anticipated. And and it's actually, you know, it's such an honor for people to share with us in that way. And yeah, I, I won't mention any stories in particular. You have to go back and listen to every single episode to find <laughs> out. But yeah, the, 
people have told us things that I feel shows that they feel that we we respect their experience and and their knowledge and and their life journey, which we do. And I th- I think it's a really special thing. Yeah, I have heard some really heartwarming stories about how listening to the podcast has helped people through some really hard times in their life and like that's super amazing and super beautiful and like the most recent one, this isn't a hard time story, this is a happy story, but um, a beautiful family has been coming to the studio for private group aerial yoga sessions and they were just telling me that like they talk about our podcast on their family WhatsApp group, including the grandpa who's 83. So to like create something that a whole family of people of different ages and like different areas of interest can kind of chat about and are interested in is like amazing and super heartwarming. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. And Cyril also asks, I think you already answered that question in one of your earlier episodes, but can you remind me who came up with this podcast idea in the first place and why did you want to do this? I'm going to answer this really quickly. (laughs) So it was Ran's idea. Ran has always loved listening to podcasts. And when he finished his yoga teacher training, he just had this space. You know, when you make time for something in your life and then when that thing is done, there's still a bit of extra space for it. And as part of the yoga teacher training, we have had many discussions about yoga I had to put a boundary on not asking me questions about <laughs> yoga philosophy or anatomy when I'm reading my book in bed at night. <laughs> so it's like, let's channel those conversations into a podcast. And, and record them, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly, we love talking about yoga. Let's put that at an appropriate time, not when I'm trying to read my book. <laughs> and she also asks, have your lives changed since the podcast? And if yes, in what way? I mean, we've built our bigger studio space since the podcast. We had COVID, which Mm -hmm. is still ongoing. And so a lot of people took a lot more of their lives online and we took a lot of our teaching online as well. But I feel like that kind of gave us a new take on the podcast because we were all going through this global thing, experiencing it in different ways. And quite a few people have shared that our episodes, which I guess was our own way of dealing with those times. Like I'm thinking of Chris Cheers in particular, mm-hmm. really helped them navigate those challenging times. So the world has changed since we started recording the podcast. I'm writing the book now. Ron's doing the app. Mm-hmm. Anything else? We got a new cash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Our life has changed in many ways. I guess, you know, that's just part of life. <laughs> so, yeah. So maybe I'll move on to question from Freya. She says, Hi, Ryan and Joe. Thanks so much for inviting me to ask a question on your podcast today. So I would love to know more about your journey with inversions and bringing aerial yoga hammocks into your garden of yoga studio. I know we briefly spoke earlier this year, Joe, about inversions and the feed up trainer when I came onto the podcast, but we didn't get to reciprocate. So now I would love to hear more about the yoga hammocks in the studio and your journeys with the inversions and also your journey with how that's impacted healing along the way. Thanks, guys. So we first tried aerial yoga on holidays in San Francisco. I like to take little yoga adventures when we travel and 
I remember like after that first session, it just felt so good, like really amazing. And we've been like tramping around a concrete city all day and it just felt so like, like we decompressed, like so light. And I like, I remember thinking like, I need this in my life. Like I really want to like learn how to teach this. This is kind of random as well. Like I think my whole life I've had an affinity with floaty fabrics. Like my mum's got lots of pictures of me as a little kid in these outfits that I create from like floaty, colourful fabric. And Mm -hmm. that's a lot of my festival decor and my festival outfits as well. So I think it's not just the inversions, like it's the fabric and Mm -hmm. the feeling of moving and flowing in the fabric and being supported, but also the stability challenges. So yeah, like I think that is all part of like what really drew me to this practice. It like hooked into a lot of things that I already loved. And when it came to bringing aerial yoga hammocks to the Garden of Yoga studio, we kind of built the studio around the hammocks because it's so much engineering to set this up that the hammocks were really what dictated a lot of the rest of the space. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I guess for myself, I mean, I absolutely love inversions and I actually feel that inversions in the yoga hammock are so much, I guess in a way, easier and maybe even safer. You know, I've, I've practiced a lot of headstands, shoulder stands, you know, handstands on the floor. And I've also been around other people being taught headstands, shoulder stands and handstands and sometimes you see things that are kind of scary <laughs> like you know you should not be trying to I don't know launch yourself up that way and I feel like the aerial hammock just makes it so much more easy and I can get people upside down in the hammock who would never have thought that that would be what they're experiencing at the start of the class which I think is absolutely amazing. And and also, you know, a lot of headstands and shoulder stands and handstands, they, they really compress everything in the body and the spine. And doing things in the aerial hammock, it's exactly the opposite. It really lets it stretch out and extend, and it's beautiful. So, yeah. I think like you just really reminded me as well, Ryan, how it's like – this amazing space where you can expand someone's range of possibilities in a way that also feels safe and supportive. And I am really drawn to working with people who have different mental health challenges. Like a lot of people who come here have PTSD. And also I don't necessarily consider neurodiversity a mental health challenge. Like it's a different way of being in the world, but sometimes symptoms may be really challenging for people. And the fabric opens up possibilities to be with your body and to be with your mind that floor-based yoga doesn't necessarily. So it's kind of just gives you this space to explore movement, to explore states of mind, to be supported, but also to like do these moves that kind of look amazing and then realize that actually this is a possibility for you as well. Nice. So Mei Yuen, who we spoke to a couple of episodes ago about rooftop yoga asks what is the plan for low, for flow artists in 2024 yeah good question i mean i guess i already mentioned we'll, we'll be doing a few more episodes we haven't put in any solid plans yet but 
I will be using Soundmade Scene to promote the podcast a bit more. I might actually start to put a few episodes up on our YouTube channel using Soundmade Scene or the tech of Soundmade Scene. So, yeah, a lot of branding going on here. Um, <laughs> what a useful app. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, hopefully just a little bit more. Nothing too crazy, though. Yeah, we're, we're still we're still so good at coming up with projects for ourselves that I think we need to know, take things a little bit easy. So, yeah. Yep. Sounds good, Ron. <laughs> Let's like write that on a fridge magnet or something. <laughs> nice. So May also asked, how can the public support flow artists or is it funded by Yoga Australia? Well, no, we're not funded by Yoga Australia. We did collaborate with them a couple of years ago on a few episodes, but no, they've, they've never funded us and that'd be wonderful. We'd never expect the people at Yoga Australia to do that. But if you are looking for ways that you can support us, we have a Patreon. So you can subscribe, become a Patreon partner for as little as $1 US a month. And we've started putting up videos of our classes for our Patreon supporters. So you get that benefit. So if you'd like to support us there, you can just go to patreon.com slash flowartistpodcast, I believe. We'll put the link in the show notes. Yep, yeah. And yeah, and if, if you aren't financially able to support us, you could also just support us on social media. So like our posts on Instagram. Tell and your friends. Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to talk about the other way people can support us, Joe? Yeah. So if you buy a Makaloo using our discount code, which is MACFLOW, M-A-K-F-L-O-W, you save 10% and we get a little bit of money as well. So if you don't know about the Makaloo, there's a past podcast episode with uh, Carla Mullins who created it. It's really cool. So it's sustainably made in Australia and it looks like a beautiful little sculpture. There's one that's like Lotus and then the other one, which is called Coast. There's three different nesting domes, which are all different textures that you can use for self-massage. It's got a base, so you can use it as a slider or for stability work. It goes really great with chair yoga because it's actually designed to help with peripheral neuropathy. So the way that you hold it in your hand is very accessible, even if you have some different conditions going on with your hands and will help to strengthen them. Like I'm all about different movement possibilities, so it's very inspiring for that. And the other way that you could support us, you might know that we've got this online library of classes and we've been going for a while. There's over 240 videos in there now. That's over 120 hours of like chair yoga, aerial yoga, nurturing yoga and Pilates, gentle yoga and yin yoga. Up until now, it's been an offer for our Patreon supporters at the top tier and also for our monthly members, but we know that the subscription model doesn't work for everyone. So we have an early bird sale where you can just get that whole library collection to do whenever you want at home with me and Ran for $89. When we reach our target of 250 videos, the price will go up to $120. So get in now, get that <laughs> juicy worm, early birds. <laughs> So, yeah, you could support us by doing our classes or getting a makaloo. Yep, and just on the Lifetime Library Access, go to gardenofyoga.com.au slash videos to learn more about that. Oh, nice one, Ryan. We'll put that link in the show notes as well. Yeah, nice. All right, so another question we have from our friend Chloe, who will be on an episode 
coming up soon. She asks, Considering how long you guys have been in business with your studio, like how do you stay inspired? How do you keep it fresh? How do you stay motivated? So I think that having realistic expectations of inspiration and motivation is key because there are going to be moments when you are really excited about something and you just want to do it and it's effortless. And then there are going to be times when that is not how you're feeling. And I think there's a perception in the yoga world, in other worlds, that can be pretty much summed up with like that work is play mentality. And when you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And that is not true because no matter matter how much you love what you do, there's always going to be aspects of it that feel like a bit more of a trudge and, and not necessarily inspiring. So I think just being real with yourself about, okay, maybe going through my inbox and, you know, doing my tax and those things are not going to be lighting my fire. But, you know, that's so I can do the things that I am inspired by. So taking the pressure off yourself to be in this state of inspiration all the time. But also if you are always feeling in the state of trudge, (laughs) then maybe take a look at that as well and see what you can shift. I think as a yoga teacher, especially for me, there's been many years where I have just been in this state of teaching a few too many classes and feeling like I had to. Like maybe I had a a responsibility to my students who I really liked to continue that class when maybe it was energetically draining to get up at that time of day or to travel that far to teach that class. And sometimes doing a little bit less really frees up a lot of energy to do the things that you are staying with. I also do like a peer mentoring session with my sister-in-law, Kira, another past podcast guest. And we just have like a little chat about what's going on with our business stuff, with our goals. We have like a very loose accountability thing with ourselves of like, oh, okay, what do you want to get finished before we talk to each other next? And having that different person's perspective can really help you if you're feeling a bit stuck on something, you can talk through it. And usually the other person will have some ideas Kira is really amazing at like looking over like email copy and because that, that's actually something that doesn't inspire me that much. <laughs> and just like saying, oh, you've used lots of words, but you haven't actually said what you're trying to say. So yeah, I think having a business buddy is a really good way to stay inspired and motivated. Have you got anything to add, Ryan? Yeah, I guess just personally, for a self-confessed lazy person, uh, I don't really struggle with motivation. Yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm pretty I'm actually at the moment I'm in a phase where I'm very keen to to get this product launch and, and I'm really keen to work on it. So that hasn't been a problem. Sometimes you do find if you're working on some tasks they can be a bit of a struggle. And I think if that's the case, just do something else for a little while. And, you know, I've got so much to do that it's easy to find a different task. I've got an asana list that I'm working through. Asana the, is a, a product that lets you list out all your different tasks and move them into different columns when you've done them, that sort of thing. I've got a big list there so I can always pick something else to work on. And I find that helps. And yeah. Yeah, actually, that reminds me because I've done that with the book as well, because it's like a really big project. And a few people have said, oh, have you got like a 
a goal amount of words that you're going to write each day. And I was like, that would not motivate me uh, at uh, all. So I need a paper list <laughs> that I can cross things off and see when I've got stuff done. And I have like smiley face stickers that I can stick on when I've like <laughs> completed like certain tasks. So it actually helps me when it's a big project and there's a lot of things on the list to be able to see the things that I have completed as well because it's like, oh, yeah, you are making progress even though there's like a lot more to do. So next question from Chloe. Yeah, balancing like work and play because we know that, you know, when you run your own business it can be quite consuming. So how do you have like boundaries and balance around work and play or work and lifestyle or business and being a human? (laughs) Good question. I guess we mentioned earlier that we've started doing a daily meditation practice, so that has been quite helpful. And I've also found I've really prioritized just going for a walk. So yeah, things are feeling a bit intense I'll just see if you want to come for a walk and then we can go for a walk down to Mary Creek or to the park and yeah just experience some fresh air and and that is always good and tonight we're going to a movie so yep yep yeah so I guess it's day nine (laughs) so yeah it's just a matter of making time for yourselves I guess yeah and I think because our all aspects of our work are at home getting out of the house is a really good one for us And something that I've found helpful, this actually comes from the A Beautiful Mess girls who, you know, they're sisters, they have a lot of projects together. And the idea of work, life, play, balance in a week or in a day, I think is somewhat of an illusion. Like there might be a day where you feel like, oh yeah, I did a bit of work, I caught up with a friend, I did some yoga, I feel so balanced. But what is actually more helpful to think about is like a season which could be any amount of time. So there might be seasons where you're really inspired about something, you're working really hard, but doesn't even feel like work because you're so in the zone with it. So to follow that up, make sure that there is a season of rest and of like integration and completion because you don't want to be on this treadmill of continually pushing from one thing to a next. Like that is not balance and that is the path to burnout. But you can have like periods of pushing and being really inspired and kind of like achieving a lot as long as you follow that up with the time of like play and rest and like recharging your batteries and it might not be an equal period of time but I think it's I found it helpful to think of like oh this is a busy season or oh this is a slow season I don't have to worry that I'm not achieving as much because I'm going to see some more friends and like put some more energy into like slowly cooking a delicious meal. Another thing that's changed our work balance lives is the concept of midweek weekend. Oh, yes. So especially when Ryan was working in the office, it was a four day a week week and he had Wednesday off. And so that was his day of not working in the office, but that's when he would teach classes at the studio Wednesday night. So that was also my day of not teaching at the home studio And it was just this, like, it really changed the week. Like, it just gave us this little boost in the middle of the week. We'd do projects on Wednesday. We'd do fun stuff. Like, midweek weekend changed our lives. Mm, And uh, from memory, we were both a little bit resistant to it as well. And I think uh, once we sort of 
came back to it and went, oh, yeah, that could work. And then it did work really well. So Yeah. yeah and I think especially if you do work on the weekend, mm-hmm. you, it's like you kind of file that away. It's actually really good to create a space that's not a traditional weekend where you're like, okay, we do stuff on Saturday. Like, let's find a bit more weekend in the rest of the week. <laughs> mm, absolutely. And we've got another question from Chloe. I'm curious about like how Ran, like, I would love to hear Ran talk about, you know, the polarity of like yoga and meditation and then like coding and the tech world because they seem so kind of different. And so, yeah, I just, you know, I feel like that would be a cool kind of topic to riff off of. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess in a way they're absolute opposites. Yoga and meditation, I guess, is more about finding a bit of calm. And coding, I think it's very, it can be very cerebral. And it can also be a lot about the new shiny thing. So there's always a lot of activity in the tech world, as you probably all know. A lot of new technologies coming out, a lot of technologies available to developers like myself. So it's kind of fun to go out and and you know find and play with different things and, and work on building something. So yeah, I guess they are complete opposites. And I feel like in a way I, I probably have gotten a bit out of balance and into the the tech end of things. And it is time for me to bring it back a little bit more and maybe become a little bit more intentional in the way I live and and I think we've started to do that. So yeah. And so <laughs> this wasn't a question for me, but I have things to add that I've noticed. Um, it wasn't until I've kind of experienced how Ran worked that I realized how much of writing code is about creativity and specifically finding little bits of code that other people have written to combine in new ways with things that you've created, which kind of feels a lot like how we might do sequencing in a yoga practice where there might be a particular sequence of moves or commands that feel and like act in a particular way on their own. But then when they're combined with other things, it like takes you to a different place. And I do notice as well that there's like that dhyana and dhyana, that concentration, meditation, and then that immersion, that awareness. And I'm not suggesting that that is something that you get to through work, but I think accessing those states of mind can help you get into that zone as you're pulling together all these disparate parts and bringing them together into building off of small individual pieces to create something new. Mm, oh, absolutely. And yeah, that's absolutely right. You can get into a flow state writing code. And I do enjoy that, especially when you get something you've been working on for a while working. It's really, it's really amazing. So yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think as well, there's a lot of power in writing code and I'm seeing more and more people who are consciously reaching out to marginalised communities and people from those communities. Like, is there like refugee code? Mm. And like putting those tools in people's hands so that they can really shape their own destiny more and more because the ability to like write code and build a website, like it can really empower 
an individual to like help a community or like take something on to a global scale because we just have the power to connect to so many other people through the internet. And I guess that's a very idealised view, but I do think that it's something that really inspires me when people in the tech world are kind of looking beyond profit as a motivator and looking more and more as like, how can we use this as a tool for social justice and empowerment? Absolutely. And that reminds me, I I actually would like to talk to the people from Refugee Code. So yeah, I'll reach out to them at some point and see if we can talk to them. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Hmm. All right. Well, have you got any final notes, anything you'd like to conclude with, Joe? Well, I'd like to thank Rob at Ghost Soul so much for letting us use his wonderful music for our outro. You can find his music on Bandcamp and he's been putting out some really cool stuff and some stuff in the ambient realm as well, which would be an awesome soundtrack to rearranging a room or <laughs> giving yourself a self-massage on a makaloo or writing some code. Nice. All right. Well, I guess that's all we've got to say for now. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. I'm Aroha Nui. Big, big love. Love.